Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn over to First uh, Thessalonians 4. We're going to start a new series today. We're going to start in First Thessalonians 4 in verse 13. So we're starting this new series this morning. We're going to title it Grieving with Hope. And we're going to start here in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. And I want to read this. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. And this is a theme verse for this series. Notice what it says. So that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So he's saying that you need to be someone who does grieve, but you grieve with hope. Here's the next verse. And since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So today I'm going to start this new series about grieving with hope. And I know to, to start this series, you're probably feel a lot of excitement. I mean, I've been waiting on pastor to do a series on grief. I've been believing for this. But you know what? Messages like today, um, sermons like today, are really the sermons that change people's life. Because it's real. It's not one of those messages where you say, you go get a Bentley and you know you go get out of debt by next Tuesday. People take a lap on those services but it doesn't change their life. And guess what? They don't get a Bentley by next Thursday either. But messages like this, they could uh, be a little somber, a little sober, but it's real life. And it can help you if you listen today. So I have a lot to say, uh, not just today, but the next few weeks. So I want you to, to be as leaned in and as responsive as you can be. I'm probably not going to shout too much today, but who knows what will happen. But I I just want to talk uh, out of my heart and and just from some study and research as well in personal experience and talk about grieving with hope. But um, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message this morning is I'm hurting, but I'm healing. I'm hurting, but I'm healing. So we read this passage a second ago out of 1 Thessalonians, and it says, we are not those who grieve without hope. Believers, we are supposed to grieve when stuff happens, but we don't do it without hope. There's a difference between us and non-believers, or at least should be, because when stuff happens to them, they're hopeless when they grieve, because there's no guarantee of resurrection in the future there's no guarantee that they're going to get back what they lost but in jesus there's always a guarantee that there's a resurrection in the future and not just for a loved one but for everything god can restore it god can redeem it god can resurrect it if you lost it god can give it back to you and give it back to you more than you had before so we can grieve with hope We're not those who grieve without hope. 
Now, some of you maybe today are doing fantastic, and that's wonderful. But the message I'm going to preach today is something that you might need in the future. And really, honestly, probably all of you do need exactly what I'm saying today. You're just not talking about it. And trust me, we're going to talk about that point later on today. (laughs) Now, let's start here. God wants you to be healed and whole, spirit, soul, and body. That's his will. In my opinion, most people, even believers, are not healthy, spirit, soul, and body. Most believers, I would say, are, they love God, they come to church, but a lot of times in their soul, which is their mind, their will, and emotions, and in their body, they're struggling. That's not God's will for you. That's not God's best for you, that you're struggling, and you're not healed in your soul and in your body. God wants you to be whole and well, spirit, soul, and body. There's a reason I I feel like a lot of people aren't well in their soul and their bodies because nobody at church talks about these things. So how many know if you never get to the root of the issue, it's going to keep growing back? You could chop off as many leaves as you want, chop the fruit down all you want, but if you never get to the root of the issue, guess what? Next week you're going to have to get in the same prayer line again for the thing you got delivered up last week unless you get to the root of the issue. You're going to have the same struggle year after year after year unless you get to the root of the issue. And the reason I think a lot of Christians don't get to the root of the issue is no pastors and preachers talk about real stuff. They don't. I'm not saying everybody. I know there's a lot of great real preachers. I listen to them on podcasts. But a lot of churches don't. And if you keep it superficial, you'll never get to the root of the issues. I'm taking my time today. You still with me so far? I am right here in my notes. Okay? I'm one line under the scripture so far. But I'm going to take my time. We got weeks to talk about this. The next thing I want to say before we get started is this. Because I love what Brother Les said. And this is what I'm doing. I'm dismantling your wrong thinking this morning. I didn't know I was a, it was, I was a mind ninja up here, <laughs> dismantling people's wrong thinking. I appreciate that, Brother Les. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you, this isn't right. Stop thinking this way. Now this is right, and this is true from God's word. So here's something. Because we're talking about grieving with hope. And we're really going to dive into this today. Here's something we need to know as believers as well. God gave you your emotions and feelings. And we in the church world need to get over it and stop acting like your feelings and emotions aren't real. All right. It's quiet in this Methodist church. Dare I say, including faith people, which we are, since we emphasize faith over feelings so much, we... Ignore people's feelings and emotions, and they're not really healthy, and they're just pressured into acting like they're in faith when they're really not. Now, if you got it, you got it, and you're in faith. But if you don't, there's a lot of people struggling with their feelings and emotions. And since so-called faith churches 
won't let anybody even vent about what's going on in their life without the confession police coming out and beating them over the head. <laughs> Nobody can actually deal with real stuff in their life because you got a church full of faith people with no compassion, no empathy, and acting like they have no feelings and emotions of themselves. Listen, God gave you those feelings and emotions. It wasn't the devil who gave you those. Just to clarify that, God did not, or the enemy did not give you feelings and emotions. God did. Now, the enemy can try to twist those and manipulate those, but feelings and emotions is something from God. Okay. We are right here right now. Now, why am I saying these things? Because we need to get the wrong thinking out and the right thinking in. Dismantling wrong thinking. That's what we're doing, Brother Les. So, if God created you in his image and likeness, he has feelings and emotions. God does. The Bible says he does. The Bible says that God laughs. God can be grieved. God can be angry. Look at the Gospels. Jesus is God in the flesh. And when Jesus walked this earth, he lived as fully God and fully man. And you see that Jesus loved people. He showed compassion to people. He was joyful. But that same Jesus, notice, experienced all his emotions without sin. And he got angry. And it wasn't sin. Jesus. That same Jesus... In the scriptures, it says Jesus wept and he cried. He was grieving over someone who lost their life without sin. So this idea that if you have any feelings and emotions and express those that you're wrong and in sin, it's not true. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, sinless, absolutely, laughed, cried, got angry, was joyful, was peaceful, was full of love, experienced all the human emotions that we do without sin. So it's not sin to have emotions and feelings and even express those emotions and feelings. Now, there's a difference, though, because we need to express it in a healthy way. Now, I know I'm taking my time to set up what I want to talk about today, but I need to. Because I think a lot of people go to two different extremes, or they're in two different extremes when it comes to feelings and emotions. The first one is this. They are completely led and controlled by every feeling and emotion they have. So your life's going to be a roller coaster. It's not going to be pleasant. And a lot of people live there. They are completely led and controlled by every feeling and emotion that they've ever felt ever. Trust me, your life will be a train wreck if you live that way. Your relationships won't last. Your job won't last. You won't be in church. Everything in your life will be chaos. If, if every feeling and emotion, you, you are led and controlled by the completely. Now, but here's the opposite one. And I think church people get more in this category because they've been told, it's all about faith. It's not about feelings. It's all about faith. It's not about feelings. They become so robotic and legalistic that they are a completely cold, numb person. That's not healthy either. 
this extreme is not healthy to be completely led and controlled by your emotions, but you just acting like you feel nothing, you sense nothing. No one could tell what are you? Are you, are you angry? Are you, are you happy? Are you sad? Do you have any person living inside that body? You know that person? Yeah, I know. A couple of them go to this church. Okay, it's all right. We love you, but that's an extreme. And that's not a healthy way to live either. It's not a healthy way to live either. We have feelings and emotions. They are given to us by God, and we need to express them in a healthy way. We're going to talk more about that. And we don't need to get in this extreme where we are led and controlled by every feeling and sensation and emotion we have. Your life will be a train wreck. We also don't need to be so robotic and non-emotional and non-feeling because that's no life at all. That's part of being human. If you don't feel anything or have any emotions, you're not really living. God wants you to feel stuff. And Jesus himself felt those same things. He felt joy and anger and love and even grief at times. It's not a bad thing. The difference is how we express that and we express it in a healthy way that leads to healing. I was listening to Keith Moore a while back, and I love Keith Moore. Uh, me and him are friends, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> Not really. I've only talked to him twice. The two times he came to our church. But I'm his friend now. He comes to our church for a reason. I love Keith Moore, and Keith Moore loves me. I believe that in my heart. But I was listening to Keith Moore, and he did a series recently about joy. And he was talking about especially church people, and he said, a lot of church people have gone to this extreme, especially faith people, where, where they just live by faith, I'm living by faith, I'm living by faith, and they show no emotion towards people or even towards God. And that's not healthy. And he said this, he said that God told him this. He said, God, why did you choose, you know, why did you choose the nation of Israel? Why did you choose these people? You could have chose anybody. And Keith Moore said, God told him, because they're expressive souls. And he said, read all the Old Testament. When God moved on those people, they were expressive about it. When they went to have a feast or a festival for Jesus, for the covenants that God made, they would laugh and they would dance and they would rejoice and they were expressive in their love towards each other and their love towards God. He said when, when they would grieve the heart of God and when they would sin, those people would change their clothes. They would hit their face. They would cry. They would weep. They would mourn because they felt that repentance in their heart. They didn't just act stiff-necked and hard-headed and, and like, I don't feel anything. I, no, he said those people were expressive in a good way, in a healthy way, towards God and towards each other. That's why I chose these people, because they're expressive souls. That's the exact words he used, expressive souls. And we as followers of Jesus and sons and daughters of God should be expressive towards God and towards each other and towards life. In a healthy way. 
You still here so far? So we're talking today about grieving with hope. And, and I want to talk today about I'm hurting, but I'm healing. And I already know the confession police are after me after the title, but that's okay. I'm the pastor, so. Let me talk to you. We're going to get in down to the real details about grief. But I wanted to share this because of, I know a lot of you have experienced things like this, and sometimes people haven't talked about it. But we as a church family, we've experienced this multiple times over in the past few years. And I'm very aware that what happens with me or our family affects all of you the same way. And I can't ignore that and act like, well, you know, they're probably not feeling what we're feeling. No, well, if you're family, when mom passes away, that's your mom passing away. And for us to ignore that is not right. And I want to help you as your pastor today. How about we just help each other through this season? Let's just do that. Let's just help each other. Because you need it now, but trust me, you're, there's going to be a lot of other situations in your life that you need this exact message. So first of all, let me just give you a, a quick definition of what grief is. Grief is deep sorrow. Grief is pain and anguish from loss. Just, just a quick definition of grief. Grief is deep sorrow. It's pain and it's anguish from loss. Here's some reasons why we grieve or things we grieve about. Of course, the obvious one is death, trauma, abuse. We grieve because of pain in our life. Sometimes that could be a physical issue or a mental issue, a chronic illness that's lasted for a long time. Grief comes from that. It could be remorse for something you did, and that guilt will turn into grief. It could be from change. Do you realize that when there's major changes in our lives, sometimes we feel grief? Even good changes. Like sometimes when people have a new child, they don't realize why, why do I feel kind of sad at the same time as being excited? Because it's a major change in your life. And you feel grief not because you lost something, but you lost your old life that you had before that. Sometimes when people get married, they feel the same thing. They feel excited, but yet they feel sad because your old life's gone and you got a new life. It could be when you move into a new house, you feel excited, but you also feel kind of sad because you don't have your old house anymore. Just even stuff like that, we don't realize why we feel the way we feel. What's grief? And we need to deal with that in a healthy way. You know, they said that because of COVID-19, all of us collectively in this entire world is experiencing some level of grief right now. Because the old life we used to have is gone. COVID-19 literally told the whole world, you got to stay in the house. Can't go to work. Can't see your friends. Can't go to holidays. And we all experience that as an entire world. A lot of the feelings we're feeling even today are left over from that because it's grief. Sorrow, anguish from loss because we're living in a different world than we lived before COVID-19. 
Is this okay so far? We're just going to call this group therapy class. This is what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. We need to talk about this because this is where people really live. So I was thinking about this as well. So we talked about what is grief and why do we grieve? But I was thinking, why is grief so hard? And it's so weird for all of us. It's not like other things you can put in a nice clean box. Grief is not like that. Grief is something that you could be doing fine and you get hit upside the head with grief on a drive home when you weren't even thinking about anything. You could be doing great and then you're out with your friends and sudden, suddenly this sadness comes over you and you feel grief. You can't put grief in a box. It's, it's, it's unusual. And I was thinking, but why is it so hard for human beings to grieve? Why is grief so weird to us? And it's, it's not like black and white. It's not so clean. You can just put it in a box and like, okay, I'm over it. You know why? And I talked to dad about this earlier in this week. Because we as human beings were never meant to die. And we were never meant to lose anything. God's original plan in the garden was that Adam would never die. And he would never lose anything. So we being under sin and under the fall of that sin all these thousands and thousands of years later, it's hard for our human bodies and minds and hearts to process grief because we were never designed to ever lose anything or to even die or experience other people dying. And that's why it's so weird and hard for us to deal with because that was never God's plan. Sin made that happen. That's why you can't just put it in a nice clean box. Can I go a little further? So uh, thinking about grief, you know, here's some symptoms of grief. And this is just a tiny list. The list is massive. But when you go through something like that, normal symptoms and feelings that you feel are sadness, anger, loneliness, anxiety, physical issues like headache and chest pain and fatigue and sleep problems and guilt. You know why? Because your body and your mind are trying to process what's happening. And because you weren't designed to lose anything and you were never designed to die, your body and your mind are doing the best job they can to try to process that. A lot of times, without you even knowing it, it's like you're not doing anything to make your body feel this way. It's just doing it. You're not doing anything to make your mind feel this way. You're actually wondering why you feel this way. Your body's just doing it because your body and your brain, your, your mind, your will, your emotions are doing the best job they can to process what's happening. Now, it's good that you know what's happening because then you won't freak out and feel like you're having a nervous breakdown. Or you feel like, I'm losing it. If you know what's going on, it helps you to be able to understand what's happening in my body and my brain right now. It's normal. It's your body and brain's way of processing all these emotions and feelings and this severe, deep pain you're experiencing, whether that's death, like I said, or trauma or abuse or something else that's 
It's beyond what your brain can comprehend. And just to tell you in the past few weeks, now I've walked down this path a few times before, so I know what's going on. Dad's walked down this past, past uh, path a few times, so he knows, knows what's going on. But just for instance, really since mom passed away, dad and I have had trouble sleeping. And we both felt extremely fatigued, like we got to keep laying down and we're just really tired. Now, if you've never been through something like that, you're going to be wondering, what in the world's going on to me? Like, what, what's happening? What, what's going on? But since we've walked down this road before, we know exactly what's going on. We're having trouble sleeping because that grief is going through our body and our emotions and it's just this way it's coming out. Now, we're going to be able to sleep again one day. Amen. Right? Me and you. We got this. We're a team. And you know what? We're not going to feel fatigued and tired forever. And we're not going to always feel these same things. It's just our body and our brain's way of processing these emotions and feelings. Now, by me saying everything I'm saying does not mean I'm not a faith person. It's knowing what's going on. So, you have to know what's going on. There's several times, you know, in the past few weeks, I felt extremely sad. That doesn't mean I'm not a faith person. I don't go around telling everybody, I am so sad and depressed. There wouldn't be something wrong if I needed to share with somebody, and we're going to talk about that later. But I know what's going on. I'm not freaked out about it. I'm not scared about it. I'm not thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going on with me? I know exactly what's going on with me. My body and my emotions are trying to grieve what's just happened. Am I helping anybody? There's a few times I felt angry recently. Pastor, you feel angry? Heck, yes, I do. <laughs> Part of my language. I'm not angry at God. It's not his fault. But I feel angry about stuff. That's emotions. That's feelings. That's okay. It's what you do with that and how you express it is the key to getting help and to getting whole and to heal. I know I'm going super slow today. Is this okay? But, but I felt angry. And you know what? I feel angry for a lot of reasons. I feel angry for... Um, I told you this is group therapy. You okay with this? I feel angry at the devil, number one, because he's a massive punk. I feel angry because I didn't want our church to experience what they've experienced over the past few years. I'm angry because I don't want our family to experience that. I'm really angry because I don't want Natalie and the boys to experience this. I'm not angry at God about it because it's not his fault. But I do feel angry about it. Now, if I don't deal with this anger down the road, now we're going to have an issue. But me just feeling that does not make me wrong, does not make me not a faith person. It makes me a human being. And it's your body and brain's way of dealing with grief. Those are some of the 
If you study about grief, and we're not going to go into that today, but we could another week, there's stages of grief that you go through. And, and it's different for everybody. Some of the stages are denial. Some of the stages are sadness. Some of the stages are anger. There's a lot of different stages you got to go through to get to the other side of healing. So let's, let's go a little bit further. You, are you still with me? We see in the book of Psalms, and, and I'm not going to turn there, but in Psalms 31, 9 and 10, Psalms 31, 9 and 10, David expresses himself and he talks about what this grief has done to him. And it talks a lot about how he feels in his body and how he feels in his emotions. And he really expresses himself to God. Showing that grief is not just in your mind, but grief goes through your body, goes through your emotions, it goes through every part of you. And David was expressing himself to God in that way. So it's okay that you feel those things physically or, or mentally or emotionally, but God wants to heal you. God wants to heal you. And God can heal you. And I feel strongly today that today in this message, we're all going to start on the road to healing. And I'm not just talking about what happened with mom. A lot of you guys got a lot longer issues than that. So do I. But God wants to heal every single one of them. God wants to help you through every single one of them. And he wants you to come out the other side stronger and better. And you are so much stronger mentally than you were before. You're so much more sound in your mind, your will, and emotions. You're better in your physical body. God wants to see you be healthy and whole and strong, spirit, soul, and body. But trust me, if we don't talk about this, you'll never get there. But a lot of people say, these aren't the fun messages, Pastor. I don't want to hear this kind of stuff. No, but you need to. Now, why do we get uncomfortable about these messages? Because I'm pushing on something that there's an issue in. Don't talk about that because I have that issue. But we need to talk about it. So the, here's the next step. So when we experience grief from, from any of those things and we start feeling in our body and in our emotions and in our mind, all these symptoms of grief or pain or trauma or abuse, what do we do next? Well, it's human to do this next step. And this next step is called, we are going to look for something to numb the pain that we're feeling. We're going to look for something that's going to make us feel better. The, the world would call that we got to, have something that we can cope with how we're feeling and the pain we're experiencing. We all have coping mechanisms to deal with the pain or the grief or the abuse or the trauma in our life. And a lot of times we choose unhealthy things because they're easier to turn to than doing the deep work of healing with God. Okay, now we're going somewhere now. So I just want to give you a few of these because some of these church people do. We always get mad at the world like the world's doing this. Like, well, church people turn to the same unhealthy things that worldly people do. It's no difference. 
But why do we do it? We do it because we're trying to feel better. We're trying to numb the pain and grief that we're experiencing. And actually, if you recognize that, you would be more compassionate to believers and non-believers alike for whatever their addiction is because there's a root behind why they're doing what they're doing. And the root behind what they're doing, what they're doing is there's real pain and there's real hurt that hasn't been resolved. That's why they're doing what they're doing. It's not just out of pure evil. Now they can become pure evil going down that trail, but they start there because there's real hurt and real pain and no one has ever told them that God wants to heal them. So what alternative do they have? For most people, it's like, I either got to do this or I'd rather die. Is that real in people's life? So here's some coping mechanisms that we do when we experience pain or grief. We turn to alcohol or smoking because we want to numb the pain because it temporarily makes us feel better. We could go to prescription medicine or pain medicine to numb the pain. It's amazing how there's people in certain parts of the country who do a certain drug and they're put in prison. I'm about to preach. But there's plenty of housewives in the suburbs who have prescription medicine that they're taking more than they should. It's just a drug. You got it from the doctor. You got it from the doctor on the street. (laughs) A drug's a drug. And you're both taking it for the same reason. Because you got pain And you got grief and you got real issues in your heart and in your mind and your body. And you haven't let God heal you yet. Some people don't even know there's healing available. So they're like, this is all I got. Now here's an acceptable one. Food. You know, there's a reason we call it comfort food. You know why? Because it makes us feel better temporarily. Temporarily, keyword. White Castle, that's like a 10-minute temporarily. (laughs) Some are quicker than others. But why do we eat junk food, fast food, comfort food? Because they put lots of chemicals and junk in that food to make you feel better. And it makes you feel better temporarily. Why do you eat Haagen-Dazs over kale chips when you're sad? There's a reason. Because ice cream makes you feel better because it's comfort food. Kale chips make you depressed so you don't eat them. It's real simple. But in the church world, food is an acceptable comfort for people. It's amazing how, I've really got to get going here. It's 36 minutes so far. It's amazing how, if you look in the book of Proverbs, Christians go hard on drunkenness, but drunkenness and gluttony are always in the same scripture. But they selectively only talk about the alcohol part in church, but not the overeating church. And then after, go to the fried chicken dinner at the church lock-in. You know what I'm saying? We won't have alcohol, but we go eat fried chicken afterwards. 
But why, is it, why are they together in the scriptures? Because both mean you're out of control. Drunkenness and overeating both means you're out of control. Now, I'm talking from personal experience because my eating habits are horrendous. They are. They're not, they're not good. They're not what they should be as your pastor. But I even got to ask myself, why am I doing that? I say it's convenience. That, that's my excuse I would give to people. I, I, I'm eating this because it's convenient. I got kids. I'm always on the go. But what if it's a deeper issue? It's not just convenience. It's actually comfort. Okay, I'll get off that. I, I know you guys are already going, going to Golden Corral afterwards. It's, I already know that. It's all right. You'll be a doer of the word next week. I know. You got it. You're good. Here's another way we cope. We, we go buy stuff. There's nothing wrong with buying stuff. God wants you to have stuff. But, you know, when stuff happens, you're like, I just need to go buy a new person. That'll make me feel better. You know how long that'll make you feel better? A few hours. And then you're depressed again. Why? Because that's not getting to the root of the issue. I just need a new car. You'll like it for a few weeks and then it'll get old. Because you're not getting to the root of the issue. Here's some other coping mechanisms. Uh, media. That could be social media. That could be Netflix. Our culture literally drowns ourselves in media. Constantly. And it's not because you're healthy and want to be connected to other people. It's not. It's because you're lonely and you're hurting and you're desperate. And if I keep, keep Netflix on all night and I go through all the seasons of the office, I won't have to think about the pain in my life. Why do people binge watch? Now, that's a, that's a common phrase. Why do people binge watch on Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or Amazon or whatever. Why, why did they binge watch stuff? If we, if we were binge eating, it would be unhealthy. If we were binge drinking, it would be unhealthy. We're binge watching because there's a deeper issue. It's not just because you're interested in the show. It's because you're trying to drown out and numb out the pain and grief you're experiencing in your life. I'm just going to hit everybody before we're done here. Here's an acceptable Christian one that a lot of us do. We just get super busy. And we just work and work and work. Now, I, I'm guilty of this one as well. I have a hard time shutting it off. And really, when things happen in the church or in our family and in our lives... I actually feel like adrenaline start moving in me because I feel like I'm the leader. I'm responsible. I can't, I can't turn it off now. I wasn't going to turn it off anyways, but I definitely can't now because my family needs me or church needs me or, or this person needs me. So we go that way. And if I stay busy seven days a week and I never turn it off to nighttime, and when I do go home at nighttime, I turn on Netflix I'll never have to think about this. But a lot of us do the same thing. Why, why do you work crazy hours when you don't even like your job? It's not just for the money. 
You're trying to avoid something in your life. Maybe you're trying to avoid your family. You're trying to avoid your feelings. You're trying to avoid a lot of things. Now, God wants you to work, but there's healthy ways to do it and unhealthy ways to do it. But all those are temporary reliefs for pain. Not leading to healing. I feel like we're getting somewhere today. Do you guys feel that? Well, Pastor, I'm not supposed to feel. Yes, you're supposed to feel that. We're going somewhere. Now, here's another thing that we do when we experience deep pain. I think a lot of us do this. We suppress or hide the pain or grief in our life. I'm guilty of that as well. A lot of times it feels easier to not deal with it. It feels better to not deal with it. So we, we suppress and hide it. But there's something about pain and grief and stuff like that in your heart. If you suppress and hide it, it doesn't go away. It grows. And it will continue to grow the more you suppress it and hide it in your life. The thing about that deep grief and pain or trauma, whatever is in there that you haven't dealt with is it has a way of coming back, but coming back worse than it was before. And usually at a time that you wish it didn't come back in. And it will come back as sometimes physical issues. You're like, I don't even know why I feel this way physically. Well, you never dealt with that grief and pain in your life. Well, why I just started feeling anxious and depressed and angry, and I really don't even know the roots where this is coming from. Well, it's probably because you didn't deal with some ungrieved pain and loss in your life, and that's where it's coming from. But I want you to know today, God can't heal what you won't reveal. If you keep trying to act like it's not there, there's nothing wrong, now, if you're being truthful and God has really healed you, then great. But for a lot of people, they're saying, I'm fine, I'm okay, and you know you're not. That doesn't please God, and that's not faith. God is a God who gives you your own will, and God will not override your will to come in and heal something that you act like does not exist. God can't fix a problem you act like that is not there. And so when we have pain in our life, a lot of us just suppress it and hide it, thinking it will go away. And it kind of does for a little bit, but it actually is growing. But understand this again. God won't heal what you won't reveal. And he can't fix a problem that you act like you don't have. I was thinking about this example. And, you know, if you would break your leg, which is a pretty dramatic <laughs> injury, and you needed it to be fixed and to go to a surgeon and you needed to be healed of it, if you acted like, I'm good, I'm fine. Guess what would happen? Your leg's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But in the church world, that's acceptable. 
Because there's a lot of people limping on broken legs all the time at church saying, I'm good. I'm blessed. I'm a God-made billionaire. Blessed and highly favored. No, you're not. But if you don't reveal that to God and to other people, he can't heal it. If you act like you don't have a problem to be fixed, he can't fix it. If you're going to keep acting like you don't have a broken leg, when you really do have a broken leg, it will never heal. We know that in the natural world. Why don't we know that in the spiritual world and in the church? If you have a leg that's broken, you're going to need to go to a surgeon. You're going to need to get surgery. And you're going to need to give it time to heal. It's the same way with grief and pain. You need to go to the surgeon, which is Jesus. But it's going to take some time to heal. Now, let me go a step further. Are we still here this morning? I want you to know this morning that time doesn't necessarily heal all grief. Healing heals grief. And everyone heals differently. And everyone's on a different journey. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4, it says there's a time to grieve and a time to cry. Just like there's a time to laugh and there's a time to dance. And if we want to be healed, we're going to have to go to the healer. You know, back to the leg injury example. If you broke your leg and you had surgery, it's going to take time to heal. In the same way, after you experience deep pain or grief or a loss in your life, it's going to take time to heal. Spirit, soul, and body. And the Bible says that. But, but here's something that happens. If the leg's going to heal properly, healing starts from the inside out. And when your leg starts healing, you can't see it healing because it's healing on the inside. <laughs> it's the same way with us. God starts doing a work in your life on the inside first. Then it shows up on the outside. I think sometimes in, in churches and religious circles like that, we're wanting somebody to hurry up and get on the other side of it. Act this way. Do this way. And go, hold on. Slow down. This person's healing. They're just healing on the inside. Give them a second. Now, they'll get back to dancing. They'll get back to laughing. That's a promise in the scriptures that, that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But let this person have their time to weep and grieve, and then the joy and the dancing will come. But don't discount somebody just because they're healing on the inside first and you don't see it yet. Because a leg has to start healing on the inside when you can't see it. And sometimes they couldn't maybe walk for weeks at a time good on that leg. But that leg's getting stronger. That leg's getting better. Those muscles are starting to, to become what they should be again. But it's happening on the inside where you can't see it. And that's what God wants to do in your life. So we see that 
there's a time for it. Here's something else we need to be very careful about in the church world especially. Stop thinking you know the timetable for everyone else. I've had it. In the church world, everybody's acting like, well, they should be over this by now. Who are you? Well, they should be over this by now. They should be better by this right now. Or, or, the, or the arrogance of some people's statement, or oh, if I went through that, I wouldn't be acting like that. You might be acting worse. You don't know because you've never been through it. Come on now, somebody in this church. I, need, I think we all need to be very careful and humble ourselves and stop making judgments based off everything that everyone else goes through. They should be over this. They should be doing this. I wouldn't handle it this way. But you've never been through it, so you actually you don't have any idea how you would act in that situation. You might have left the church a long time ago over a situation like that. At least they try to come to church. Yeah, you're not saying amen because you said that this past week. <laughs> it's not right. It's complete arrogance and pride and not the love of God. You have no idea. You don't. You have no idea. And, and let, me, let me add this to it. I know I'm at 50 minutes and I got more to say. Are you, you got anywhere to go? Well, you're not going to Golden Corral now after this message, so. <laughs> Core life will be open later. Let me say this about every single person in here. You have no idea what other people go through or the pain they experience. Even if you think you really know, you have no idea the battles they face, the relationships they have in their life, the pain they've been through, the divorce they went through, the people they lost in their life. You don't have any idea. Even the people you think you really know, you don't know because you're not them and you don't live in their body and you don't have their brain or their spirit. You don't know. You know what people need when they're in that time? What's going to help them heal? It's not your judgment. It's not your attitude. You know what's going to help them? Your prayers. But your encouragement. What about, I know you're not, you're, I know you're not feeling maybe as good as you're going to feel, but I'm glad you're still showing up to church. I'm glad you're still in life groups. I'm glad you're still making an effort. Thank you for what you are doing. I have no idea what you've been through, but I know one thing. God can heal you. God loves you. God can restore you. God can restore those things that you lost in your life. And I'm here for you however long it takes because I don't set the timetable because I'm not God. But we want to rush everybody else with their timetable, but we want people to give us our time. <laughs> okay. Am I doing okay today? Okay, thank you for this. <laughs> now, this is real life stuff. Do you know when we act that way? That's not Jesus. That's not the heart of God. We have no idea. We don't. None of us do. You can help them, but help them not with your judgment and condemnation. Help them with your prayers once again. Help them with your encouragement. Help them with just being there for them. 
Help them in that way. Okay. I have two things I want to close with today. You guys still here? I've said a lot today. <laughs> so if we're going to get on this road to healing, which that's where we're on together, and we're, we're starting that today. But not just what happened with mom, but it's bigger than that. You guys got issues beyond that. The first thing you need to do if you're going to process the pain, you need to be honest with God. God can handle your honesty. It's church people that can't handle your honesty. <laughs> if we're going to heal, we have to be honest with God. If we learned anything from the life of David was he was a man after God's own heart. But if you read the book of Psalms, he let it fly. <laughs> Unfiltered. Uncensored version. And he told God and was honest with him about what was going on in his life. Why? Because he knew that God was the only one who could heal him. If we want healing, you got to go to the healer. And you got to be honest with him enough to act like you have an issue so he can fix the issue. You got to admit you got a problem if you want God to solve it. You got to admit that you need healing in an area and be honest about it. Because God won't override your will. You have to submit yourself to him and say, God, I need help. I need healing. And I'm going to process with you and I'm going to be honest. And God respects honesty. And he loves honesty. And he can work with somebody who's honest about their real life. And he can start the healing process. If you know anything about the life of David, he went through a lot of stuff. A lot of pain, a lot of loss, a lot of heartache. But every time, he would recover and get over it and get on the other side of it. Every time he would heal from it. But how did he do that? He was honest with God. He processed it with God. He told God when he was angry. He told God when he was sad. He told God about his pain. But he always would say, after he was done being honest with God, but God, I know you're going to help me. And I know you're going to heal me. And I know you're going to restore me. And I know I'm going to get back to that place of honor once again. And I know you're not going to leave me forsaken. That's faith. Faith is being about honest to God about where you're at but being faithful enough to say where you want him to take you. Being honest with God to say, I'm dealing with this, but God, I believe you anyways. I'm going to get on the other side of this. I'm going to have complete healing and victory over this. And I know you can do it, and I trust you. But I'm not going to go around and say, well, I'm not hurting. No, I am hurting. But also, I'm healing. I think sometimes in the church world, we haven't allowed people to even say anything like that. And it's not right. You know, if you would ask myself or dad or Jessica right now, we're going to give you an honest answer. Which is, how you doing? I don't know how I'm doing. I think I'm doing better than I should be doing. But some days I feel sad, or some days I feel angry, 
But at the same time, I am completely confident that God's healing me. And at the same, same time, I'm completely confident that we're going to get out of this stronger and better than before. And that's my answer. I don't know how I'm feeling or doing right now, but I know God's healing me. And I know God's helping me. And I know we're going to get on the other side of this. And I know our family's going to get stronger. I know our church is going to get stronger. I know dad's ministry is going to get stronger. And we will make the devil pay for every last thing he's done to us in the future. So, yeah, I'm hurting a little bit, but I know one thing for sure. I am healing, and I will get on the other side of this just like I've gotten on the other side of every other thing in life. That's faith. You can be honest about where you are and still say what you're believing God to do in your life, and you know to be true. Are you here this morning? I'm about to close. The next thing we need to do is we need to process with people. You need to talk to people about the issues you're dealing with in your life. The grief, the pain. It's healthy to do that. Now, let me give you a few parameters about that before we go down that trail. You need to talk to people, but the right people. People that love you. People that you can trust to keep what you're saying just to them. People that will let you be open enough to talk about what's going on in their life. But also people that will always, by the end of the conversation, point you back to your answers, point you back to your church, point you back to your relationship with God, point you back to the word, and point you back to the fact that God wants to heal you and give you victory. That's the right people to talk to. But you do need to process with people like that. Could be a friend, could be a family member, could be a life group leader, could be a pastor. And that's part of the healing process. You got to process and be honest with God. That's the first place you got to start. But the next step is a lot of times you need to process with other people that can help you. People that will listen and be honest and love you and that you can trust. And once again, that will point you back to the answers in God's word. For me specifically, that's people like Dad or Pastor Dennis. And there's some other people in here that I talk to as well, but mainly people like Dad and Pastor Dennis I can talk to because I know they're further along than I am. That I can say what I need to say, and they'll listen, but they'll give me an answer from God's Word and help me. But you just keeping it in and acting like you're a tough guy will never solve it. Let's read a verse, James 5.16 in the Amplified Classic. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored 
Notice, to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. But let's put the first part of that verse back up. Notice what it says. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. Or you could say your grief, your pain, your hurts. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and of heart. It's interesting in this passage in James, it says that there's something that happens when you talk to the right people about your issues, your pain, your grief, your sins, your, your, your mistakes, that when you confess that to the right people, that you will be healed and restored in your mind, in your heart, in your body when you talk to the right people about it. And many people want to say, well, it's just God. Yeah, it is just God. You start with God. He is the healer. And you got to be honest with him. But God uses other people in our lives to help our healing and restoration come. So it's so important to understand that. And many times we act like confession to each other is something that we shouldn't do anymore. But the Bible says it's healing. You know, if, if you talk to other people about sin in your life or mistakes in your life, guess what? You probably wouldn't be doing it as much anymore. <laughs> if you confess it to one another, you would be healed. If you talk to people about the grief or pain you experience, and guess what? You probably wouldn't be going through that as much anymore because you got it out of you. And the right people can help you come to a place of healing and restoration. That's what this verse says. I'm going to end with this. You know, in, in doing some, some research about this, I was studying about grief and pain. And there's something that a group of doctors started studying in the early 90s. And you've heard of post-traumatic stress, right? These psychologists found out and coined the phrase post-traumatic growth. And they figured out why can two people... I'm about to preach... Now, these are secular psychologists and doctors. How can, and you've seen it in your own life. How can two people go through the same experiences? The same pain, the same abuse, the same trauma. And one live rest of their life as a victim and as dysfunctional and never get it back together. And they lose their mind and they lose their physical health. And their whole life is a wreck after that. Horrible thing that happened to him. And many call that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But then how can another person that had the same stuff happen to them come out of that situation and get stronger from it and get better from it 
and actually grow through that most traumatic, painful experience. There has to be some sort of difference. Because you've seen it in your life. I've seen it in my life. And, and once again, I'm not making light of any traumatic, abusive, and hurtful, painful thing in somebody's life. But these psychologists in the 90s coined this phrase, post-traumatic growth. That there can actually be growth that comes out of your deepest, hardest traumatic pain. And so they started putting a list together. What are the common denominators for people that get on the other side of these things and actually grow through it, get stronger through it, and end up helping other people through the same situation? One of the number one things they said is they had close community. They didn't do it alone. They had people they could talk to. They had life groups they could go to. They had a church family around them. They didn't live isolated. The people that lived isolated and kept it to themselves never recovered. But the people that had post-traumatic growth instead of post-traumatic stress, they lived in deep, rich family and community. And they did life together. Isn't that amazing? But let me read you one of the things they said. Many years ago, the social psychologist James Pennebaker conducted the first large-scale study of trauma survivors. His goal was to determine why some people experience suffering and are devastated and others experience but seem to not only come through it, but on the backside, often they are more joyful and at ease than before. It's called post-traumatic growth. Pinnebaker's hypothesis was the trauma for which their social stigma was harder to recover from than others' traumas. For example, he and his team researched sexual assault and suicide of a spouse. Two forms of trauma where they anticipated people would feel shame. But listen to this. But they discovered their hypothesis was completely wrong. There was zero correlation between the nature of the trauma and the potential for recovery. It turned out the number one factor in recovery, or we would say healing, was whether or not a person had family or friends or community and they had emotional support to talk about and process their pain with. I think James 5.16 already said that. And psychologists are now just admitting that and finding that out. Isn't that amazing? Post-traumatic growth. That's why James 5.16 says confess to one another. Process with one another, the right people, that you may be healed and restored. And that's what I'm believing for all of us in this place. We're not going to live with stigmas of post-traumatic stress or depression or suicide or and then the rest of these things. We're going to be those people that had post-traumatic growth. Post-grief growth. Post-pain growth. We are believers. We are victors. 
And I know that God wants to heal every single person in here of every deep pain, every grief, every hard place, every trauma, every abuse. We serve a God that is a healer. But if you want to be healed, you got to go to the healer first. You got to be honest with him. But then you got to go to other people that can help you. And when you confess to one another, you will be restored and healed. And all of us, we're not going to be known for the pain we went through or the traumatic thing we went through or the grief we went through. We're going to be known for the testimony of what God has done in our life. We're going to be known for where God has taken us. We're going to be known for how we got on the other side of it. We're going to be known for the growth that we experienced through it. We're going to know because we got stronger. We got better. We got more focused because we grew through it. We didn't just go through it. That's going to be the testimony of our family, and that's going to be the testimony of every person in this church. Everybody's like, well, Church on the Rock, they've been through a lot. But Church on the Rock is going to live heaven on earth. Well, Church on the Rock has been through a lot. Yeah, because there was a devil that was trying to fight us every last minute, but we ain't stopping for nothing. And he's fighting because we're called to be a region-changing church. And we ain't stopping till the region has changed. So keep throwing stuff, and we go keep growing, and we go keep moving, and we're not going to be defined by the pain or grief or abuse. We're going to have post-traumatic growth. (laughs) Church on the Rock, they've been through hell. They've been through that. But we're experiencing heaven in the future. The greatest days of growth are in the future for us. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the greatest days of growth in this church are ahead of us. The classrooms are going to be filled and overflowing with kids. The upstairs is going to be filled and overflowing with kids. This sanctuary is going to be so filled up. We're going to have to have two services and three services and four services, and we're going to call it post-traumatic growth. Because what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn around for our good. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do. Do you believe that? Or is it just me? No, I believe that. If a psychologist that doesn't know Jesus can admit that you can grow through these things, how much more with God on our side? How much more with God living on the inside of us? How much more with a, such a strong, healthy church community we have at Church on the Rock? We're going to grow through this. Are you getting something this morning? Am I doing okay? Okay, just checking. And I have one last verse for you. And Brother Daryl, could you come play with me real quick? Isaiah 53. This is the last verse. Isaiah 53. Did you guys get something today? I know it went long. I had to say, I didn't preach last week though. So I needed a few extra minutes today. I love this verse because we're talking about today is the start of our healing. Not just about mom, but anything. 
You know, as I've been talking, all of you are thinking about other issues of your life that you haven't dealt with. You're thinking about it right now. Those issues are the issues that God wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to help you. But you got to be honest with him. You got to be honest and confess to one another that you may be healed and restored. I love this verse. And I was thinking about this. We believe that God is a healer. We do. Every believer should believe that. But, you know, just like Jesus took your sickness and pain, your disease, he took your grief. Jesus has provision for everything in your life. Everything that the enemy meant to hurt you and harm you and everything that sin has done to you, Jesus has an answer for it. Spirit, soul, and body. That's what I believe. That's what the word says. Spirit, soul, and body. He didn't leave any part out of this redemption. And then we get heaven on top of that. But when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just die for your sins. He didn't just die for the healing of your body. He died for your emotions in your mind and your will. He died for your grief and your pain. He died for the trauma you went through. He died for the sexual abuse you experienced. He died for all those things so that you would be healed. That you wouldn't be defined by that the rest of your life. But you could be healed and you can come back stronger from it and help other people that went through it. Am I helping anybody today? Isaiah 53, 3. This is written about Jesus. It says he is despised and rejected by men. You know, I think of this sometimes. Sometimes we act like there ain't nobody that knows what I'm going through. There's nobody that knows the pain I've experienced. There's nobody that gets it the way I feel it. Well, there's somebody. It's not me. It's not even your life group leader. It's not your friends or family. Maybe they don't get it. But Jesus gets it because he went through it. Everything you experienced. He knows it and he experienced it as a man. Notice what happened to Jesus. Does any anybody ever feel despised or rejected or Sorrow or grief. Well, well he, he dealt with it. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Next verse. But surely he has borne our griefs. And we're talking today about grieving with hope. 
Jesus took your grief just like he took your sin, just like he took your sickness. He took your grief. And he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But here's the good news. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Isn't that good this morning? Come on, can we stand up for a second? Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.